everybody has emotions. We are driven by emotions and energy. Two things, energy and emotions, period, end of story. That's where it all starts. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work, while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoff where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. Hi, I'm Michael and you're listening to 97% Effective. Conflict. Does the mere word make your blood boil? and then send you running to avoid discussion or plunging right into a fight. There's a much more productive way to communicate when things heat up. That's not always an easy process, but if you listen to my guest today, L. Benita Patterson, you will make huge strides fast. Benita is CEO of Polaris Consulting and Executive Leadership Catalyst. I've invited her here today to focus on what I see as one of her top superpowers, the one thing that executives have the hardest time with, communication when things heat up. In fact, she's literally written the books on this topic, Communication Under Fire and Emotional Intelligence in Action. Both are super practical and been trusted manuals in thousands of workshops and coaching engagements. So if you lose your bearings when the heat turns up, you need to master conflict if you wanna get ahead or simply believe having better quality conversations will help you get things done. Benita is your go-to. Benita, Welcome to 97% Effective. My pleasure, Michael. Thank you for having me. We spoke together on the podium at Stanford earlier this year, and you shared one thing that wasn't on the internet about you, which is that you are a deep seeker of meaning, which I thought was really interesting. (laughs) And I wanted to ask you the same question again, is what's one more thing that we could learn about you and get to know you better that we're not going to find on the internet? Oh my goodness. That's an interesting question. All of the things that are coming to mind are tied to the seeker of meaning. They really are. I would just say I have a wide range of interests and I have a lot of curiosity. And those wide range of interests show up in your work, coaching and training. Today, we are going to focus on communication. But what initially drew you to really focus and even write that first book around communication? I was always fascinated by the fact that Communication always shows up as an issue. I mean, from the time you're little for the rest of your life, yet it is the first thing we do after we take our breath is communicate. And I've always been fascinated about why do people still have to learn how to do something they've always done? Because we don't have to learn how to breathe, you know, barring some sort of catastrophe. We do it and we just do it. So that's always interesting. And then with emotions, whenever emotions are involved, and my premise is emotions are always involved, it changes the dynamic. And something that you're good at, you suddenly 
just do a brain freeze and you suddenly don't do it well. So you can't necessarily rely on your strength, even if you are a good communicator, if you get derailed in situations. So how do you see that coming? How do you course correct when you find yourself in it? And then how do you recover if you've broken some glass with the other person? Yeah, I think that many executives out there listening to this have been to communication seminars, you know, have done a lot of presentation work, particularly in the States, particularly as they rise. But it's exactly like you say, when some emotion hits, you get called out, our kind of playbook and our brains shut down. When you do work with people around communication under fire, what is the probably the biggest issue you find that they have trouble with? Emotions. Specifically? You've got to do, because you've got to get that first or the words coming out of your mouth are going to be meaningless because people are going to feel the energy you are sending and or you're going to be communicating it in your tone or your body language. So if you don't get that, the words become empty. And oftentimes, if people are feeling something different from you than what you are saying, it's worse than not saying anything because it feels like a betrayal and they somehow feel in their gut that they can't quite trust you and they don't quite know why, but they're going to keep their eye on you. So people are honing in much more on your emotion than the content of what you say. Even if they don't know they are, even people that don't think they have emotions. And we all know people like that. They're always very in control and they don't seem, they have emotions. Everybody has emotions. We are driven by emotions and two things, energy and emotions, period, end of story. That's where it all starts. And when you are working with individuals around that, you know, how, yeah, you have a whole process and, and your book goes into this, but you know, what is a, a simple, effective technique to, to, to start people being more in tune with their emotions or how they're bringing that into the, the, the communication? First of all, do a freeze frame. When you feel yourself in a situation and your brain just kind of freezes up or you, or you feel yourself about to say something in a way you don't want to say it, freeze frame and ask yourself what you are feeling. Not what you're thinking. And many of the people we know are very cerebral also. And we go to our heads. What's the formula for this? I know what this means. This is the logic. I should definitely be able to share the logic with them and they will totally go with it. Well, you got to get the emotions first, then the logic. So with yourself, the same is true. Get to yourself and ask yourself what you're feeling. And if you're not used to knowing what you're feeling, that's the first thing you have to practice is learning to know that. Get to a place of emotional neutrality, Mm -hmm. and then you can work wonders from there. And and I think probably a lot of people hearing that think, oh my gosh, I'm going to freeze. And then there's going to be this huge silence (laughs) in the room. Is this something that you know, through practice can be done quickly? Or are we talking this a couple seconds? Or is this like, you know, half a minute that you need to kind of freeze and hold up? How does that work? Well, it gets down to quickly. In the beginning, if you're not used to it, you practice it offline. Hmm. So that when you get in real time, you'll be able to do it. And also, it is fair game to say, 
hmm, let me just process what you just said. I want to give it due consideration. So you can actually make a statement about the fact that you're thinking about it. That, and in some cases, that can be really good because you're letting somebody know you're actually listening to them not just reaction, reacting, you're taking it in. So I have some clients that actually use that to their full advantage. Suddenly they're the best listeners in the world because they really have to stop in and pause. And people, all of a sudden people think they're way better listeners and they actually are. And it takes the charge, it t- helps you take the charge off yourself. And if it's a contentious situation, it may help the other person calm down, even if they don't want to, calm down just a little bit because you have suddenly turned the heat down on your side. Do some of these, this, this, this framework by which we're communicating, does, that, does any of this change when we start to think about the different mediums like video um, or if you shift into written word? I mean, we're talking primarily about face-to-face here. Well, face-to-face, first of all, that works perfectly with email, of course. That's where you can, that's where there's no excuse. And many of us have pressed the send key when we should have paused, but Mm. there's literally no excuse to do it in that environment because you can pause. Mm. So that is easy there. But if we're on Zoom, for example, uh, it's it's very similar to what I just said, because Treat it as a face-to-face and say, and it's even better to say out loud, okay, let me think about that for a second. I think there's some, there's some good stuff in there and I want to process it. So do that and it works great on Zoom. But let them know that that's what you're doing because first of all, there's no other body language but your face. And if you don't have an expressive face, they're not going to be able to, if you're like Mr. Poker, mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to read it. So tell them that and that works excellently on Zoom. And when you do that, people tend to be a little patient for a few seconds and give you the space. There's one part here around freeze and take a moment. You know, at work, you're not always going to see eye to eye with people. When you really do have a strong, <laughs> different point of view with someone or you can't stand that person on the other side for a variety of issues, calming down can help yourself to some point, but then how to kind of, is there a way to think about how to go forward in the conversation? Well, if this is someone with whom you have to work more than once and you know you have to, then I would suggest just having a quick conversation to see if you can agree on, let's just get this done. In the past, we have a lot of different opinions Uh, So how do we come together around this so we can be effective and efficient and, you know, both of us stay in a neutral place and just have that conversation with them. And if the other person is nine times out of 10, the other person, they're not always willing, but nine times out of 10, the other person is, is willing. And sometimes they're just relieved that (laughs) you brought it up. So just bringing it up and putting it out there. I'm say, let's be efficient with our time. So let's just not get sidetracked. So how are there any things you can think of that we can do to stay on this issue and be productive around it? Anything we should do that we haven't been doing that you can think of? I'm all ears. Mm. And let them know that you're willing to change. You're willing to hear their suggestions before you pepper them with a lot of yours. Yeah. Does, does that shift at all? I can see having that 
with one of my colleagues or in a very collegial environment. In, in many companies, I know we don't want to say it, we think everything's flat right now, but there are hierarchies. If, if you know, you're in a situation where you're talking to the boss two levels up, or you are the boss and you're dealing with a new employee who's, who's way down, are there any other considerations here in terms of, you know, there's a, definitely a power dynamic going on there in terms of someone has more power or, or gravity in that conversation. But anything that that relationship brings to bear on how you communicate? Well, if you are the one with more power, be cognizant of that and be careful not to use it because more power equals fear really quickly. Mm. And people are looking for what it is you want them to say, not what they really think. So you got, you have to be clear about what you're doing. So if you're really trying to have a conversation with someone and really get their input, you have to know uh, what you have to have ways to really let them know that you want to listen and you have to meet them where they are. So what is of interest to that person, or maybe if you don't know that person to maybe people in that area of the business, Mm. what kinds of things might be important to them? And if you're in a particular situation, how is this, maybe you're talking to a branch office and you are the regional or the national, whatever, how is this branch office doing relative to the message that you want to deliver? If they don't fit into this, what about not beating them up for that if they're already doing it well? <laughs> you know, so don't tailor what you're doing to match. Just the comics do it all the time, right? Mm. You go to a comic, they bring up a few things about your city, don't they? They'll say, yes. I just heard a comic yesterday. He said something bad about one state because he was in a rival state. And he said, oh, just so you know, when I'm there, I talk about you. But, you know, they, they, they know what the currents are. So know a little bit about the environment you're going into and what's important to them and start with that. And it sounds like that could also work the other way. Obviously, if you're empowered to be very cognizant that people are going to be sensitive and, you know, what the backlash or retaliation could be when it's going the other way and you're talking to someone up higher, are there special considerations there? Well, knowing your audience is about the only power you have. Mm. People in power can choose not to abuse their position power. You don't really have that choice because you don't have the only power you have is influence power to begin with. Mm. So it behooves you even more to structure your statement, request, conversation to be of interest to that person particularly if you are trying to sell a new idea or a new approach or anything like that, immediately hook into what they care about. And it's usually easy to know what they care about. They always care about the numbers, right? Right. (laughs) Always care about market share. I think there's some things they always care about. Start with those things. Even if you think the secret sauce in getting this new thing done are some other things that they may not care that much about. Start with this because ultimately that's where their emotions are. Mm. So it comes back again to emotions. Yes. I'm hearing that. That's what they, that's where their logic is. And, and they may be thinking it's just where their logic is, but it is also where their emotions are because how many times have you heard somebody talk to somebody who 
is a leader, not say not a good leader who doesn't care anything about the people. They just care about the numbers. And you go in and you start talking about, well, you know, the people, this, the people that they are, emo- they're getting emotional. They are thinking this is such a waste of time. Why is this person talking to me? That's emotion, right? So you have to start where they are to let them know what I'm about to talk about is going to help you achieve your goals and help you in your sweet spot. And all this other stuff, this is just going to help it happen faster and better. So it's mark, it's marketing, it's influence, and it's meeting someone where they are to take them where you want them to go. What I hear and see a lot in companies and interested in your take on this is that we're kind of at the one time balancing our relationships with other people at the same time needing to be direct about certain things that either we need or need to be done. And it seems like this tension that a lot of people have that, well, if I'm direct, I'm not, you know, attending to the relationship or vice versa, right? You know, if I can be nice to that person, but then I can't really say what needs to be said. Um, Is there a a balance here. I may not be asking this question in a, in an articulate way, but it feels like this tension that people don't know how to manage. Do I pay attention to the relationship or should I, you know, just go direct and tell them what needs to happen or what they need to hear, what I need? Well, you actually asked the really key question because we do find, which is typical of us humans, one extreme or the other extreme. We do all of one and none of the other. And again, this is another area of interest of mine is, you know, balancing polarities. Mm. And that is the, that is a standard one. It is always task. I call it, we typically often we refer to it as task versus relationships. Mm. And it really shouldn't be versus. It's really task and relationships because you have to get the work done and you have to do it with people. You can't, you cannot You can do it all one way or all the other way, but at some point, it's not going to work. If you do all tasks, it's going to be totally hard on the people. They burn out and you find your good people can leave. If you do all relationship, you may find your good people leave because you're letting people that aren't doing the work get away with stuff. You're not having those conversations. So it's you have to do both. It's not hard to do both. The first thing you have to do is you have to decide that you want to do both. And that just sounds like an obvious thing, but it is so not obvious. It's not obvious at all. Yeah, keep, keep saying, talk about that. And making that commitment and having an intention around understanding you need to do both. And then developing appreciation for what gets out of whack when you do only the thing you like to do how everything else gets out of whack. And, you know, for that goes for whatever side of the ledger you're on. So you think about what are the things you do that are the side that you like, and then how do you integrate it with this other side so that it is balanced? So one of the ways to do it is I'd say always be clear and direct. I think being clear and direct is important. But you don't have to be harsh, Mm. clear and direct, clear and direct and leave the people feeling whole. Mm. Even if you're talking to them about something they totally 
botched. It was an epic fail. And after you get over the fact that you're like, Ugh, and you get to a place of emotional neutrality, you ask yourself from an outcome standpoint, am I wanting to drive this person out of the company? And then we have to get a whole other person and then we have to train that other person and that other person has to learn the culture and blah, 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 blah. Or are we at a stage where we can move forward? I provide a little more direction and I help them learn to think differently about the situation. So next time they'll have a better appreciation for the ramifications of what they do. Do I want to invest in that or not? If you don't want to invest in that, then you don't want to do it. But if you want to really optimize hmm. the human capital, I love saying that word because it just takes the people out of it. It just sounds so sterile, right? The human capital, which makes it more palatable to people that really don't care about the human capital. But if you really care about that, and even if you don't care about it as people, you can think about it any way you want. You can think about you want people to be whole. You really want to help people grow. Or you could be thinking totally on the ledger side of the expense, the effort, the lost Mm. opportunities, the rework, all of it of having to bring up other people. So however you think about it can still bring you to the place of understanding the importance and the power of having that balance. Because if you handle the people side right, they become inspired and they do more and better than you even expect. And if you handle the task side right, things are done in a way that doesn't create problems for you that don't have to happen and really facilitates a smooth process. And usually I find the person has the mind for one they often don't have the mind for the other. It's one or the other. It does seem so <laughs> obvious, but but most people are thinking about these as two very different things. So yes. reframing yes. it as task and relationship. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. Is, is what you said there about, you know, you can be assertive and demanding without being harsh or, or abusive if we uh-huh. go even go further on that spectrum. Um, and what you said there about having someone on the other side feeling whole I, I, in Asia, you know, my Chinese background, that's, is that a little like you giving yes. someone face? Yes, that, it, it, okay. it really is that. You want to leave people whole, even though they understand. So if it's somebody, they botch this project, they're going to do the next one, or they're going to get help with the next one, however you're going to proceed. They need to understand why it was a failure, not some general, well, that was just a failure. It just didn't work and nobody liked it. That's not helpful. (laughs) Not helpful. Be specific about what worked what didn't work and ask them to think about how they would do this differently or on the next thing, this is how we're going to do this on the next project. And these are the things I want you to think about upfront and manage upfront. 
And so let them know, be really clear about what needs to be fixed, how you're going to proceed going forward, and also let them know. And now that you have this information, I want you to think about it and I want you to come back to me with what are some ways in which you could accomplish the both. And does that even appeal to you? Mm. Ask them. They may say, you may, you'll get people that say, I really love this part of the job, but I really don't want to do that. I just hate it. And you're like, yeah, I see. But the job is that too. That's 50% of the job. So are you really happy doing it this way? And they're going to be like, uh. so there are ways you can help people leave feeling whole or move on to the next project feeling whole. You wrote this blog post a couple of years ago. I thought it was excellent and, and I want to send it out in the show notes, but it talked about very delicate and tricky conversations. And, and I think it actually illustrates here how to have a productive conversation um, and to both be, you know, very direct about how you feel, but also sensitive and leaving a person whole. And, and so if I can just frame this up, but if, if you could talk a little bit about this, because I think the example is very good and it's very, you know, sensitive here, but you, not her real name, but a, a colleague named Sally, you and she were driving in a car and she was talking about how she was helping a, a friend find an apartment and didn't want that apartment to be in a neighborhood with blacks and Hispanics. Uh, for safety reasons. And you, of course, turned and said, black girl in the car. And then you had a choice there of, of, of where you were going to take that bomb that essentially had been dropped in the car. And, and so I think this is, it's a larger discussion going on uh, in society, but this is a very good example of how to deal with a high intensity bomb that's been dropped how did you, and you were working through that, how did you do that? And what does that illustrate here? Well, it was one of the few times I was car, we were carpooling to a meeting, in fact. So it was just the two of us in the car, which was good. And this happened to be a colleague and a friend. We'd known each other for a long time. We had worked together on different things. We'd had each other's back. We worked, like, we worked together so well, always. It was amazing. We really liked each other and we were really good business partners when we were on projects. So that was the background. So that skewed me. I, I, after I got, after I got myself calm. <laughs> so you did the freeze, you did the freeze. Yes. Exactly. So you follow your own framework. <laughs> <laughs> and the universe helped me freeze because we got to the meeting about right after she'd done that. So there was a natural pause space. So during the meeting I was supposed to be listening to, I was all in my head, just like, what the, sure. what, are you kidding me? Has she been thinking this all the time? Blah, blah, blah. So I got myself calm. And then on the way back, I, did, I had to make a decision. You have to make a decision. Ultimately, is this a relationship you want to salvage or at least explore? Or is this a relationship you just walk away from? You know, sometimes you have those things happen and you just go, okay, fine. Check that one off the list. <laughs> I won't be working with that person anymore. You know, 
there was those, but in this situation, I kind of did the, the risk benefit analysis. You know, what was our relationship back? Have, and also I asked myself, have I seen any of these behaviors before? in any way. And you know, it's a good question to ask yourself because you know, when you're close to somebody, people can do these little things and you don't necessarily see them. Your brain just goes, that didn't happen before you even are, you don't even cognitively go, that didn't happen. So I I really went back and ran the tape in my head. Have I seen these little, in any ways before, have I seen this tendency and just ignored it? And I came up with, I couldn't remember that I'd ever seen. I was so shocked. I could, and the reason she said that to me, which is funny, she said it to me because we're so close. Hmm. You know, she's sitting there. She's not thinking that I am a member of the group she's talking about. She's thinking those people, it doesn't apply to you. I know what she's thinking. I know why she said it to me. And it was kind of good that we were that comfortable because I got to hear it and I got to know it. So on the way home, we, you know, I just raised some questions. You know, what is the issue that was on your mind? What was your primary issue? Was it the safety? Was it the racial diversity? You know, what was your issue? And and um, why did you, why were they married together? So I just asked her a few questions about that. And what is the outcome she was looking for? And in the process, and I asked them in a calm way, because by then I was just in curiosity mode. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was my friend and it was a teachable moment. And I was using the questions kind of, and then we were going back and forth. I wasn't just peppering her and I didn't have an energy around it. You know, I, you know, when you have an energy around it, you can say whatever words you want, but your energy tells people whether you're open or not. Uh, So we had a good conversation about it at the end. And she kind of thanked me for making her think about it. And I, and I, I said things like too, don't necessarily give me answers now. I don't want you, these are things I want you to think about. And, you know, then we talked about it again at another time later, but she got to the place of, she hadn't realized how she had hooked the racial mix into the safety issue, how hooked they were in her mind. Yeah. And I was going to ask there, how do you even start the conversation? Sometimes even if you've calmed down, <laughs> you don't even know how to bring it up. Like what's the, what's like the word to start the conversation? I kind of said I was, so, so first of all, speak what's real. The first thing is don't say anything about the person that said it. Don't say, don't, don't say anything about them. Don't say anything about their intent. That's the Mm. tricky part. And that is the hard part because your feelings were hurt and you're thinking, well, only a bad person would say that to me. You must have bad intent. You must've been bad all along. And I just didn't see it. You know, your emotions are just going crazy. So I just said that really troubled me. I was really troubled by what you said. And then it just opened up the discussion. Yep. I said, I value our friendship and I have decided that it's worth a conversation. If you feel that way too. And she was like, yes, I really would like it. Cause she didn't know how, no, you know, she would, the whole, she, I'm sure she was in her head the whole meeting too. Yeah. So we had to drive back together and she didn't know what I was thinking. And she knows me. Mm -hmm. 
she knows me really well. She said, oh my God, she could be really mad. <laughs> and she could be like, okay, we're done. I'll drive you home. And then we're done. You know, have a good life. Goodbye. <laughs> she knows I could just go, not get necessarily get upset. Just go, okay, we're done. Yeah. And so she didn't know what was happening. So when I said I was troubled, which is true, I want to talk about it for the sake of our relationship and just see what's there. And, and she was like, yeah, she wants to talk about it. So that's what you do. Start with, don't start with you. And so basically I started with my feelings Mm -hmm. and the truth of the matter is we have to start with our feelings because those are the things they are shaping our thoughts. They're shaping our energy, but you can't start with your feelings from a place of anger or from a place of disparaging the other person. You have to start from how it made you feel. And it's hard to do that because that is a vulnerability. Because when somebody hits you, whether it's this issue or another issue, and you're emotionally upset about it, the last thing you want to do is show more vulnerability. Because you already feel like you were blindsided, you were attacked. And wow, so the first thing is I just need to buck up and go on the offensive. Or just not talk and just disengage, but to actually stay there and say, I was troubled. Now I didn't say really, she hurt my feelings. I didn't use the word hurt my feelings because that just felt so weak. I would never, I couldn't have said you really, cause I would have felt in my head that I was saying you really hurt my feelings. So I did say I was troubled and saying mm-hmm. that's not a feeling word, but that speaks to my feelings too. I was right. troubled by that. And that's the safe way to say it because it's not too emotional a word. Yeah. Now, and, again, and again, that was a relationship, a, a friend that mattered um, because you talked about thinking about kind of what the stakes were. You know, sometimes we do have people who are absolute jerks or but we have to work with them. Yep. Again, this goes to the point that you're in a situation. And we, of course, don't want to be there. But if you're in that, in, is it best to just ignore it and not address it? Um, or is that something that still should be kind of brought out? And then how do you do that? Well, assume that this, something that happened in the past, the first thing you do is you assume no bad intent and then you go into discovery. And sometimes you find there was bad intent. So what I'm hearing from you, we've been through that. And we know this person's intention, they're doing and saying exactly what they want to do and say, and it's landing with you exactly the way they want it to land. Then I say at that point, be specific and say, I would appreciate it if you didn't say these kinds, if you didn't say these kinds of things around me. Very direct. I don't have control of you. I don't have control of your life, but in my space, Don't approach me in that way. I would appreciate that because I am not approaching you in that way. And I would like for you to at least extend that same level of courtesy. I'm not asking for more than that, but I'm asking for that level of courtesy. Well, your article, that blog post talks a lot about techniques in there, but I think it was a very personal story and I'm glad you could share more of that because I think it does illustrate here what we're, we're talking about. And I I would just add too, that as you talk about this, it is what you say in your book, communication is a two way street. So it's not 
the onus of one person only to bring this up. I'm imagining your friend, like you said, also could have initiated that. Think about the phrase to, to, to start it off. And I'll tell you one other thing with my friend that was helpful. If you're dealing with someone who really didn't know they were doing whatever it was and they didn't and they really don't mean it, they really don't want to be that person. What also impacts them is to have them because I asked her to think about what is the impact you're having on other people that you don't even know you're having. And sometimes for people that really gets them when they to think about that they're having a negative impact that they don't intend to have. And maybe all over the place, <laughs> they get like, oh, yeah, you're right. Because it changes how you approach people. It changes how you interact with people. It changes a lot of things. So, Bonita, I, you know, I really like how you share some of those personal stories and you weave them into uh, your writing and your work. Um, I also just say on a personal level, you have this amazing personal touch and it's a question I've got. I noticed that as we've talked, not so much today, but as we've interacted and built a relationship, um, you're also very good at interjecting a little bit of humor um, from time to time. And and it feels like, I, I'm, I haven't thought this much about it, but humor used tactfully might also be a strong ingredient here to opening up relationships and communicating well. Any any thoughts or reactions on this, since I know you've covered much more of the gamut on, on communicating? Well, humor used tactfully just kind of takes a little bit of the air out of the balloon. Even if it's a room full of people and the tensions are high, you can make one statement or one remark that underscores what happened, but it also gives people a chance to, <laughs> and just lighten up a little bit without being jokey, you know, but just lighten up a little bit. And, you know, humor helps people learn because humor makes you more receptive. And if something is coupled with humor, you also have a tendency to remember it more. Hmm. And I'll tell you, I've mentioned to you before, I love stand-up comedy. Not doing it, but it is my (laughs) favorite. It is about my favorite thing in life. Stand-up comedians, they're like the the smart ones, not the ones that are just like over-the-top silly. But, you know, there's a ton of really sharp stand-up comedians out there. Watching them in action, especially if they get heckled or if they are, are people that interact with the audience, they're quickness, their ability to improv and get people laughing at a thing and often without alienating the person, even who's heckling, you know, or, or, or not even heckling, interrupting their show a lot. Right. So, right. yeah. So I take a lot. I, ta- I take a, a lot of lessons from that. I probably am drawn to stand up comedy because I do value the uh, the, the impact of humor. And the effect of humor. Yeah, you do it ex- extremely well. Thank you. Thank you. As I was as I was preparing for the interview and I went back and reread your book, I loved it because it's very practical. If you were to write a second edition or you were to add a new section or change something of it, is there anything in particular, given all of the communication work one-on-one uh, with groups um, that you would add to your book? I would just add, I would add more examples of situations. Mm. 
because it helps people see themselves in different situations and get more connected with how I can use this and how this can be more useful. I would do that because I will say the things in the book, nothing's really changed. There's just been more evidence since I wrote the book. Everything in neuroscience speaks to all, because my communication in a fire book has an element of emotional intelligence in there too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It totally does. So all the research in neuroscience and, and emotions and communicate all the research is just more and more research that still speaks to the same thing. So I would just add some, I would change a little bit of the content, but I would also add some more examples so that people could easily go to this type of situation or this type of situation and see an example of that particular type of situation. Mm. And so as we get here to the end of our time together, we've totally focused on communication and communication specifically in high intensity situations. I know that you do a broad range of work with organizations and a very you know, diverse set of industries. I'm curious, you know, what new themes are you seeing from your clients outside of communication that you would kind of call out, if any? I'd say that this whole situation we've been to in the pandemic has really surfaced some leadership weaknesses. Hmm. And the leadership weaknesses are there is not a new weakness, but it has surfaced it in a bigger way. And that is going back to the 50s, the theory X and theory Y, <laughs> I think it was McGregor. I'm only trusting you as long as I can have my eyes on you. And if I don't see you're not working versus, you know, people have infinite possibilities. People are able and capable of doing everything wonderful. And I will help them do that. I will guide them in doing that. I'll look at their output to know if they're working. So since the whole line of sight thing, (laughs) I mean, that went out the window It really surfaced a lot of management deficiencies that weren't necessarily obvious before. So you really have to get better at connecting with the people who work for you, be they other managers or employees. You have to get better at knowing them, Mm. of having conversations with them to know what turns their lights on, what drains them so that you can help and you'll know how to inspire them and how to spark their curiosity to get them more deeply engaged. I have found the people that are thriving, really thriving, and the people who didn't get the great resignation during this whole situation have been people that were great at keeping their folks engaged. And it really started with, they knew how to listen. They knew how to listen to them. And that's an art and it's easy to do. It's easy to do if you give yourself the space to do it. And if you have the intention to do it. Benita, there's obviously your books and your website, Polaris. Consulting group. How do people best reach you and connect with your work? Well, my website is polarisconsulting.biz, B-I-Z, mm-hmm. or you can drop me an email at bonita, 
polarisconsulting.biz. That's the best way. And then LinkedIn, my posts. So that's how you can get to me. I'm easy to get to. (laughs) Excellent. Well, I'll also put those in the show notes. And I want to thank you again for spending your time with us here today. Thank you, Benita. It is always a pleasure to connect with you. I'm such an admirer of you and your work and your extreme coaching expertise. So spending this time with you has been an absolute pleasure. So thank you again for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Benita. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwinderoth.com.